Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And, and for the last time... I'm Father Andrew... Well, no, I'm, I'm still going to be Father Andrew... But the last time on this Ignition... <laughs> As a regular co-host, I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you to tell you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, and you might, if you've got ideas for future episodes, and you might, please contact us. You can email Dr. Bergwell, because I'm not going to pay attention to these things anymore. You can email him, ignition, I-G-N-I-T-I-O-N, at sfcatholic.org. That's S as in Sue, F as in Falls, Catholic. You should know how to spell that. .org. You can also tweet at us. The Twitter handle is at sfdiocese, SF as in Sue, as in Falls, D-I-O-C-E-S-E, hashtag ignition. Um, so, well, just to introduce ourselves briefly, I'm Chris Bergwald, Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, uh, married to Germaine since July of 1999, and we have, at this point, at least five children. We make our home in Sioux Falls. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson, and at this time, I am the Director of the Pope Pius XII Newman Center and Pastor of St. Paul's Parish in White. Uh, and just recently, actually, I was driving somewhere and I was like, I'm really excited for the school year to start. Like, I mean, I was preparing for it, but right. I was just like, okay, I'm really ready. I'm ready. So that's, I know I don't need to like ask to get out or something. Okay. <laughs> so, that's good. And I am a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, not for the last time, nope. just the last time on this show right. as a regular co-host. Yes. So yeah. this is the, uh, this is the, uh, I mentioned the last couple, this is the end. Um, the end. Our only friend. No. Um, Father and I have been co-hosting Ignition since 2010, um, August of 2010. So we've done about 300 episodes of Ignition together. Did some before then. We'll continue on afterwards. Um, but Father will be stepping away uh, because he's getting older and busier. Right? Old gray man just ain't what he used to be. <laughs> There's Never no gray. Thought he well, was. there's little gray. Mm. Yeah, there's a little bit down there. That's not powdered sugar on my beard. No, it's not. Um, as we were mapping out just the final mm. um, recording sessions, the Exodus. The yes, the Exodus. I loved the fact that. The, so this is again, obviously, the last episode Father's recording, and we are going to be concluding our not only recording time with him as a regular host, but we're wrapping up our sort of introduction to the books of the New Testament, and we're talking about the the book of Revelation. Revelation, the Apocalypse of Saint John. That's, Apocalypse. That's Father Dickinson's final. Final episode of Ignition, by God's providence, not our own Isn't planning. Isn't God awesome? That is just, Father has a love for scripture, as we've talked about repeatedly over the years. Um, and I just, Unlike Dr. Bergwald, yeah, who hates always, scriptures. <laughs> uh, and so I just, I, I love the fact that we're wrapping up, not not just talking about a book of the Bible either, but the final book of scripture right. in his final episode as co-host of, regular co-host of Ignition. So, <sighs> isn't that... The little things. You who toil for the bread you eat while he pours gifts on his beloved while they slumber. Amen. So, um, the book of Revelation. So anyways. So anyway, the book of Revelation. Enough about Father Dickinson leaving. Um, The book of Revelation. Hey, we're all leaving in one manner or the other. That's right. Uh, Is one of the most 
uh, puzzled over books in Scripture. And it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Father and I often talk about, and we'll do this a little bit, sort of the background and and how things seem to be, in terms of like authorship and dating of the books and the new te- letters, documents of the New Testament, back in the day, they used to you know have a pretty good idea of who wrote it and when they wrote it. But today, modern Scripture scholarship, we've sort of been questioning. When it comes to Revelation, many things, um, who wrote, including who wrote it and when they wrote it, have long been contested. Like, yeah. we're not really sure. Well, in fact, there was, uh, there was some parts of the church that weren't even sure it was Scripture. Right. When they set the canon of the New Testament at the Council of Nicaea in 312, uh, uh, 325. Nicaea is 325. Oh, 325. That's yeah, right. Because yeah. we're getting on the 1500th anniversary. Yeah, we are. Um, in just a short eight years. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so some uh, Christians were like, I'm not sure this is actually scripture because right. they weren't using it in their uh, celebration of the Eucharist. Right. That's that's how, by the way, just real quick aside, that's how uh, the canon was partially established. Which books are inspired? Well, one of the tests they used, litmus tests that the, the bishops used is, has this book been read in the mass, yep. been proclaimed as part of our liturgical celebration, prayed as part of our, the, what we now call the Liturgy of the Hours, um, mass in particular, though. Father Simeon. Who, who was reading Philemon? <laughs> Somebody was reading. It's a letter. St. Saint Paul wrote this letter. Come on. I know. Uh, you have fill them up. You have lemon with tea if you. You have to with go your back. five T's. Yeah, with your five T's. Yes. Acronyms um, on knowing the Pauline corpus. Exactly. The Pauline body of work. And and, and Roman Catholic Church. Romans. First Corinthians, second Corinthians. Okay, we won't go down that Pauline uh, corpus tangent. Okay. So we're stopping there? You just start yep. it and then you're okay. Yep. Well, that way that everyone knows the whole thing, though. So, I mean, like you quote the first line and you refer to the you're rest right. of it. There we go. Good. You, know, you quoted the last line. Well and done. Referred to the rest of it. Um, so there's been there's been question about aspects of Revelation, including even if it's scripture, um, from the early centuries of the church. Nonetheless, it is definitively, affirmatively uh, part of the Bible, inspired. Um, Did Martin Luther want to remove this one? I'm not sure about Revelation. Okay. You want to move like James and Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some of, maybe some of John's letters potentially. Okay. Um, so, uh, again, some of the background author, what? Google. Google. Yeah. Um, Google will tell you, Father's looking it up, will we'll we get into some of the background. So the author refers to himself as John four times uh, in the book of Revelation. Um, tradition has traditionally seen him in the early centuries, John the Apostle, um, but even the third century, there are some doubts about whether or not um, this this was actually John the Apostle. But that is still the hypothesis that fits the evidence the best. Martin Luther did want to remove Hebrew, James, Jude, and Revelation. It was Revelation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Johannine authorship of Revelation still fits the best. Uh, John refers to himself as John. He doesn't say, so listen to me, or these are my credentials and my authority. That that's one mark that's likely John the Apostle, and also um, one of the m- more well-known parts of Revelation chapters two and three. There, the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. That's all re- within the region of Ephesus, where John um, lived for a time, um, uh, probably with Mary, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. Um, so we go. At least I go with John nine authorship. Father, do you care? Uh, I well, I usually go with the traditional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
again, whether or not if somehow we discovered somehow that definitively it wasn't John, it doesn't change the fact that it's inspired. Uh, the church says it's inspired, doesn't really focus on, okay, who exactly is the author? Uh, just real quick on terms of when John wrote it, um, there's a majority view that he probably wrote it in the late 90s. There's a large but still minority view that he wrote it in the late 60s. Um, the late 60s one seems to give some greater clarity in terms of understanding the book as best as we can. Again, this is not something, a hill to die on. It's not mm -hmm. a matter of faith in terms of when it was written. Mm -hmm. So let's get into, Father, a little bit about the background, though, the literary background in particular of, of the book of Revelation. Bow, bow, bow. Um, it's the only book of its kind. In case you didn't know, if you read the New Testament, Revelation sticks out <laughs> like a sore thumb. Yeah. Okay, that's a bad metaphor because it's not bad. Yeah. It sticks out in an obvious way. One it, of these books is not like the others. One of these books. It, it does, but it does, but it does belong. belong. Yes. So it's, it's, it's not, well, I mean, the letters are quite different from the Gospels. True. And even the Gospels have stylistic differences uh, between each other. Quibble! Yes. Um, <laughs> final quibbles. Getting in the final quibbles. Oh, there will be quibbling. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but it, but if you read the whole of the scriptures, you find more similarities yep. to Old Testament books yes. than you would to New Testament books. Yes. And so, but but it is kind of one of your stereotypical things when people think of the Bible, like if they're not literate in the Bible, they'll think of the book of Revelation yep. and the beasts and the yep. catastrophes and the angels and these things going on, like in the visions, they think this is what the Bible all is when the Bible is actually kind of mundane in some ways. Right. It is. Yeah. So it is in line with uh, works of the Old Testament. So um, two particular ways. Um, this is a work of Christian prophecy that's in line with Old Testament prophetic books. Yeah. Which it'd be just good for us to hit the idea of what prophecy means. Yeah. Is prophesying in the Christian sense always about, uh, you know, on uh, November 22nd of 2018, uh, Chris Bergwald is going to stub his toe on the curb and right. drop his uh, mug of coffee and break his uh, favorite uh, TV show mug. And I have to buy the fourth one of those. Yeah. Oh, really? You've had three of those? Four. Yeah, three. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's not what Christian prophecy is. So Christian prophecy sometimes has some word in that regard, but it's actually pretty rare. Uh, uh, Christian biblical prophecy, Old Testament or New Testament, is really more about explaining the times of what's going on. One one concise way that it's 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 not so much it can include, but it's not so much about future telling. It is about truth telling. Mm. So so if, especially the Old Testament, you see where the prophets are not popular because they're speaking oftentimes hard truths to the people of Israel. So when you say the books of the prophets are about truth telling. Does that mean the books that aren't written by the prophets are false tellings? <laughs> it's no. I said prophecy is truth telling as opposed to primarily future telling. I'm not contrasting it with the other books of the Bible. Oh, okay. I'm contrasting it with false notions of what prophecy is about, as you were just doing. So, could you then say that every book of the Bible is in some way prophetic? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would say that too. Yeah. But. yeah. But we refer to a particular, and there's also the idea in the Old Testament of the office of the prophet, yep. which was uh, kind of a structure, and there's like some some notions about what a prophet should do and look like and be in the role of the prophet, that John the Baptist acts in those roles right. and things as well in the New Testament, right. as does Jesus in some ways. But that's neither here nor there right yep. now. Yep. 
So, so um, commonalities with Old Testament prophetic books, but also commonalities um, with other Jewish texts that were present at the time that John wrote Revelation, other uh, Jewish apocalypses. So I think which are not in the Bible, which are not in the Bible, right? So this is extra biblical reading. So there's a style. So Dr. Berger is referring to a style that was written in those days that we can genre. archaeologically go back and see. Right. So just apocalypse, just briefly, on, I think oftentimes when people hear, hear apocalypse... It's not a character in, a character in the Marvel cinematic no, universe. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not that. It's not that. Um, but also, and I think they think this because of the book of Revelation and the popular, at least in our culture today, we think of the end of the world and apocalypse, like so all the d- disaster movies we've had for the last 20 years. We think of that. Um that's not necessarily what the literary genre of apocalypse is all about. Right. Um, some characteristics of apocalypses in general, uh, there's usually cosmic symbolism. So symbols in the, the stars and the sky and so on. There's heavenly visions, there's judgment scenes, and uh, a lot of angelic mediators are some of the common, al- common features, not just found in the book of Revelation in the Bible, but also in these other Jewish apocalypses that were written at the time. So is it ex- so? Is Revelation exactly the same as these Jewish apocalypses written at the time? No, because uh, there are some commonalities, distinctives um, between the Jewish apocalypses and John's. First, John writes in his own name. If you look at some of those Jewish apocalypses, uh-huh. they were also student. They said um, the authors were people who had lived centuries before Enoch or like something Enoch, like that. Exactly, who is from the Book of Genesis, so thousands of years, millennia, millennia before. John writes in his own name. Um, his focus is on Jesus's triumph, so obviously distinctly Christian uh, dimension. And there's also a heavy use of liturgy, especially liturgical hymns mm-hmm. from the heavenly worship. Right, I love those heavenly worship hymns. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I just we, do. we never did a musical episode of, uh, of Ignition. This <laughs> darn. No, I, no. We, we, we've got 15 minutes left no. on this. I would. I, did we ever do one on music? Uh, church music and the pro of church music. I feel like we. I feel like I know we've talked about it. I don't know if we do, devoted an episode. Well, to if it. you haven't ever, and you want to invite me back sometime. Okay, so Psalms and church music. Yep. All right. Well, okay, uh, oddly enough, because the book of Psalms is church music. Yes. Uh, you are listening to Ignition, which is a broadcast for the new evangelization. I am Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I'm sitting across the table from my soon-to-be former guest, co- a regular co-host for Ignition, Father Andrew Dickinson. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, like, am I soon-to-be formerly regular? Soon-to-be-formerly <laughs> regular co-host, yes. Uh, we are discussing today the Book of Revelation. This is Father's uh, final appearance on Ignition as a regular co Co-host. There we right? go. There there we go. go. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm glad I'm still going to be regular. <laughs> uh, if you have questions about, we're talking about the book of Revelation today, uh, an obtuse uh, topic. Um, but if you have questions about what we're discussing, if you've got ideas for future episodes or how we should um, fine tune ignition with this transition with Father's departure, you can email us or tweet at us. You can email Dr. Bergwald, ignition, I-G-N-I-T-I-O-N at sfcatholic.org. You could tweet at him, the Twitter handle is at SF Diocese and use the hashtag Ignition. 
So again, we're talking about the um, the book of Revelation. Uh, la- last point in terms of literary background, um, and an obvious one, this is a very difficult text to interpret. Yeah. St. Jerome uh, said that the book of Revelation has as many mysteries as it has words. Um, so when you, you do a word count, that's about how many myst- mysteries there are um, in the book of Revelation. Um, so it's been puzzled over f- f- almost from the be- well from the beginning of Christian history. The uh, so it's just good to know that, and and so so don't be surprised if you find yourself like reading being like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 like yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I think before we're going to talk about some different ways um, that the book has been interpreted. Um, I think one thing that strikes me just as we do that, just in terms of background, if you've never read it before, first of all, just read it. That's our recommendation. You might struggle through some things. You probably will not understand some things. We don't either. No. Um, but our, our mantra with this series, uh, introducing you to the books of the Bible, is just read the text. Just read the text. Yep. Um, there are some good commentaries. A lot of what we're saying here, uh, in terms of the background, comes from the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible New Testament volume, um, written by Scott, Dr. Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch. So I would recommend their, um, their commentary uh, on the book of revelation there are others as well um but maybe you want to read it with a commentary but whatever you do just read the text the 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 as an apocalypse if you be, read at the beginning if you've never read it before john is basically most of the book is john telling us of these heavenly visions that right. he's had uh so where he's explaining things that god has revealed to him so this is one of the few books of the bible then father where um the author is very much aware that they are passing on what god is revealing um like mm. St. Paul's letters, he's just writing these letters, right. probably unaware that he's being divinely inspired as he's doing so. Right. Whereas John is like, I had a vision. Right. Yeah. This is what God has revealed. So anything else, Father, before we get into some of these different interpretive views of how to understand the book of Revelation? Well, do we talk about date? Yeah, we did. Oh, okay. You were looking up the Luther thing at the oh, time. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Because the date kind of comes in later on when we talk about... Um, uh, some other notable things about it. Absolutely. So, so uh, different ways, again, to understand the book. One is to, and, and, and just to sort of um, anticipate what we'll say after this little review of ways to interpret, there are truths in all of these approaches that hopefully we can take in and integrate all of them. But one focuses on understanding um, the book of Revelation in the cultural and historical context in which John wrote it, in which he had these revelations. Uh, and this approach tends to focus on the struggles between the church and state. Uh, the state at the time, of course, was the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. So the, the, the focus uh, in this perspective of interpretation focuses on the, the, the clash between Christian protest against the secular Roman power of the time. Right. But with a focus on the fact that ultimately God will triumph. Right. Now, in, uh, which is kind of a, is that more of a recent view of yeah, Revelation? Probably yeah, probably more modern scripture scholarship. Because we're more concerned about state church interactions in yep. our day. And, and, and looking at the historical cultural context of the books of the Bible. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, another view uh, sees the book of Revelation as primarily about events that happened in the first century. Yep. So this sees Revelation as about the beginning, the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant. Um, so I think a popular culture, and we'll get to this in a minute, a popular culture tends to look at the book of Revelation as about the end of time. Right. But there is a pretty 
good chunk of of interpretation of the book of Revelation that sees it as, in fact, about the past, as what right. happened in the first century. Right, about um, Jesus's establishment of the new and eternal covenant. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, another view, somewhat similar, um, but not this quite is number as focused. Three number three for your outline. Yes, yes. Um, looks at the book of Revelation as providing us with a view of the church's life as, th- as she marches throughout history. Yeah. So here, the different visions that John sees correspond to different stages of the history of the church into the future. And so its symbols are about different figures, different institutions that will come and go throughout human history. And so then there's kind of a matching game that goes on yeah. this historicist thing of like oh okay well maybe at the time it was written you know the number of the beast represented Nero uh, but now who does it represent and so maybe we kind of look and try to do some math games on people's names to see uh, which one of our presidents or world leaders corresponds yeah. to the number of the beast yeah today. so for me so for me uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was the beast really not for me personally oh, but that was in a, those days in the 80s yeah, yeah that was uh, you know, some some scripture well Bible preachers were right. doing the number thing. Oh, who's the guy that used to be on TV? Um, he always like read like the headlines and like, oh yes, because it refers to this in Romans. Dr- yeah, he, Drusilla. Yeah. His wife was name was Drusilla. Yes, I I remember. Anyways, yeah. 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 So this is a, again that sort of matching. Um, you don't get that much anymore on the. Uh, I think TV. I think with the coming and going of the year two thousand, um, we started to see the. Because a lot of people thought yep. that things were going to happen, maybe not the end of time, but right. even in the Catholic Church, there was a, there were some Catholics who thought that something. How come nobody thinks this is about twenty thirty three? Because it doesn't have the, all the zeros. But the re, but that's, <laughs> that's the resurrection. I know, I know, but it doesn't have all the zeros. That's gonna be a great jubilee. One thousand, two thousand, millennialism. That no. Whatever. Yeah, the birth of the Redeemer or the re- or the resurrection of the Redeemer. I mean... I know. I, I know. I what know. good would his birth have been if he had not died and rose again? I know. <laughs> so that, that, that's that's one view. Yeah. Um, another uh, a fourth fourth view uh, sees Revelation uses signs and symbols to dramatize the never-ending struggle of the individual spiritual life. In other words, it's a timeless message, not one restricted to past events or to future events, but it's about the struggles that each of us go through in our spiritual life. Right. So the things of Revelation, then, in this point of view, uh, in this kind of school, is then that everything is detached from anything specifically uh, about like history, and it's all just about spiritual life in general. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, and then the final view, again, one that's very common today, still common today, um, is that the, the book of Revelation is about the future, uh, specifically the end of history, the return of Jesus Christ, the final judgment of humanity, etc., etc., etc. So, which one of these kind of five views that we just went over would be the Catholic way of reading the book of Revelation? Yes, what do you mean by yes? Uh, the one that incorporates uh, aspects of all of them. So none of the above, but all of the above at the, the same time. The, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, all of the above in part. <laughs> so um, I, we, we don't really get into the math game, uh, for instance, with um, trying to figure out who is literally in history who has been the Antichrist. And yet we recognize that Revelation does in certain ways point to things that have happened and are going to happen mm-hmm. in the life of the, ch- of the life of the church. But we also would say that there are things that were accomplished or that already did happen yep. Uh, in the first century, so that that initial view we talked about, that or the second view that we see that it's primarily about events of the first century, we would see that. So, for instance, 
you brought up the dating thing earlier. Um, right. Well, because the dating thing has to do with like when the temple was destroyed, because that is uh, the temple was destroyed in 67 yeah. AD. Yeah. And so uh, 60, yeah. some people try to look for and parse through the book of Revelation to look for references to the destruction of the temple. Because, of course, that was, there's a number of things with that. One is Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. And so for a lot of Christian apologists in the early uh, couple centuries, they would point to the fact that, hey, he said that not one stone would be left upon another, and it's true. Right. And, uh, and I think we talked about this before, how uh, one of the apostate Christian emperors of Rome, Julian. Uh, Julian, sought to rebuild the temple as a way to disprove Jesus. Right. Uh, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that whole kind of thread uh, going throughout uh, and people looking for that thread throughout Revelation right. is, does, is is it or is it not uh, uh, still standing? One view that really doesn't doesn't fall in in these categories per se, but it certainly fits with sort of the idea of integrating them. Yeah. Sees it as very liturgical in nature. We right. touched on this earlier with the hymns and so on. You can see that like in Scott Hahn's book, uh, the, <coughs> the Lamb's Lamb Supper. Supper. Yep, which is about the Book of Revelation, how it ties into the Mass. And that's so that's not a view that that's that unique to Doctor Hahn. It's no. it's others have seen have seen that as well. Very rich in Eastern Catholic uh, theology, the Byzantine theologies. Yep. 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 Father, what else? Any other? Uh, you, you in the show notes, you uh, gave a quote from oh, yeah. a famous author. So, uh, and this tied into a topic we were on a previous episode of initially a little bit when we were talking about the gates of hell in Matthew yeah. sixteen. Yeah. But uh, uh, Tolkien, uh, J.R. Tolkien, has a phrase: "I am a Christian and indeed a Roman Catholic, uh, so that I do not expect history to be anything but a long defeat, though it contains some samples or glimpses of the final victory." Mm. Uh, this is in a letter that he wrote, not any of his works. Um, so this idea that, you know, and if you look at the book of Revelation, there is a lot of defeat. And at some points, it almost looks like the beast is going to triumph, right? you know, and be triumphant over uh, God's creation and God's people. But then the triumph of Jesus Christ comes in the twinkling of an eye uh, with the last trumpet. Not because of anything that humanity did. No, but because of the sole action of God himself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's just an interesting thing to... I don't know if you want to spend more time on this slide or go to a couple notable passages. We can do that if you want to. I don't know which one. I want to leave is. it up to you. This is this is your last hurrah, Father. I don't know, because I love these passages. Now I'm wasting time. Can we just mention a couple of fun passages? Yes. Okay. Uh, for fun, I love Romans 3.16. Okay. Would Re that, Revelation 3.16. Excuse me, Revelation 3.16. Would that you are hot or cold, but you are lukewarm, and so I will spew you out of my yep. mouth. Yep. That's in his messages to one of the churches. Yep. A great reminder for us that, okay, these are Christians, and yet they're lukewarm in their faith, and they're in danger of being spewed out of the mouth of Jesus, vomited away. Uh, Revelations chapter 12 and the woman, uh, and the, the battle between the woman and the dragon. Not uh, the, the woman as the woman clothed with the sun. Yes. Okay. Yep, not the uh, horror Horrible. of Babylon. Yep. Uh, I love also, you brought up the hymns. And if I could just go through all the hymns and I can't, but I just love the hymns in the book of Revelation. Find the hymns, like Romans 5, Romans 7, Romans 14. I think this off the top of my head has a lot of those great hymns, but they're just beautiful hymns of God's triumph uh, and and seeing the glory of God's triumph. And they're all about God. They're not about us. They're about God. Right, right, right. So again, that liturgical dimension of the book of Revelation. Yeah. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to see <clears throat> power and riches and honor and glory and praise. The Alpha and Omega. There's beginning a, and the end. Uh, there's a great prison worship song that harkens back to my college days along those lines. 
And that will wrap us up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet us, or me, at sfdiocese. Use the hashtag Ignition with any ideas for future episodes or questions about this one. Until next time, uh, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.